Well, I just want to say good morning again, but now not only to those of you who are here in this service, but also good morning and welcome to our traditional worshipers and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm really glad that you're here to celebrate this big holiday with us. Do you guys know what holiday, not, not Mother's Day, there's actually an even bigger holiday happened this week. Do you know what it is? It's one of the probably the least appreciated, most misunderstood Christian holidays of the whole year. This last Thursday, I think I hear some people whispering it, it was Ascension Day this last Thursday, right? One of the least, one of the least understood Christian holidays, I think. But in the midst of it all, this is a, it's a holiday that commemorates, celebrates the ascension of Jesus. After his resurrection, the ascension of Jesus to sit enthroned at God's right hand as the world's true Lord and King. And uh, alongside that, I'm a pretty big basketball fan. You're like, what is that transition about? Okay, so... <laughs> I was a little bit excited this week to see LeBron James celebrating Ascension Day. Did any of you see it? I saw, I saw this on Twitter this week. Can we put that picture up there? There is LeBron and Kevin Love. And do you see the tweet? This pic makes it look like LeBron is ascending into heaven and Love doesn't want to get left behind. <laughs> but wouldn't it be nice to imagine that at the Ascension that Love is left behind? Oh, isn't that good? Okay, all right. I don't know what to do with that, so... The story of Jesus' ascension is also kind of the final piece of the puzzle. It's the, it's the last story. It's the last scene in the biography of Jesus, according to Luke, that we've been reading together as a church family this whole year, learning to understand better who is this Jesus who invites our loyalty, who is our Savior, and what sort of life is he inviting us into when he says, come follow me. And we come to the ascension as the very last piece of the puzzle. And I think that many Christians misunderstand the meaning of this event. I know I did for a long time. I think, maybe I'm not alone, in coming to the story and thinking of it, first of all, in terms of Jesus' absence. In other words, it explains why we don't see him on earth anymore, right? Jesus was raised from the dead, so he's not going to die anymore, so he should still be living somewhere like in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Minneapolis or somewhere, right? That's not the case. We don't see him. Why? Because Jesus ascended to heaven. And so I'd learned about this for years, and that just without thinking about it, that figured that kind of explained it. And that's true. There's a degree of truth in that. But really, in biblical context, the ascension of Jesus is much less about his absence and much more about his authority. The ascension of Jesus is not so much about his absence as it is about his authority, that he ascends to heaven to be enthroned at God's right hand as the world's rightful Lord and King. In fact, historically, there's even one other, there's a, a, a public ruler, a, a governmental ruler from later in the first century, the emperor Titus, who, about whom there was made an arch that was carved, an, an ancient Roman arch, that made the claim that Titus ascended to heaven to be emperor forever. The, the context of ascension in the first century is the context of reign and authority, not really so much the context of absence. Huh? Now, you may have heard me or Pastor Andrew say before, if you've been around as a part of this church family, uh, that the central Christian confession is, is this, that Jesus is Lord, this content that Jesus ascends to be Lord already even now, that Jesus is Lord. In fact, one time it occurred to me about 17 years ago, right about this time of year, in the late spring of 2001, when I was a senior in seminary, my last year, second semester of my last year in seminary, uh, Pastor Angie and I were in a class together. Did you know that Angie and I were classmates in seminary? As a matter of fact, we graduated together. And uh, we were in this class together, and the professor asked us, what was the earliest Christian confession? What's the earliest Christian creed? And both of us, somewhat tentatively, because we weren't the professor, but said in stereo, Jesus is Lord, by which we weren't asking a question, but asking if that was the right answer to that question. 
And it's the case. This was the first thing that Christians confessed. And you can see evidence of this actually in some of the earliest letters from the New Testament documents from the early Christian letters. For example, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the Romans, a community he'd never even met before. He wasn't the one who preached the gospel there. It wasn't a church he had planted. But in this letter to the Romans, in Romans chapter 10, Paul said this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What is the confession that Christians speak? Jesus is Lord. And then actually, Paul, again, in another letter written around a similar time in Philippians chapter 2 said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's not actually a present reality, the confession. Not every knee bows before Jesus. Not every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. But Paul says there will come a time when every knee will bow, and at that point, it will be obvious, and everybody will have to agree and declare. And what will they declare? What's the obvious truth? That Jesus Christ is Lord, and they'll declare this to the glory of God. This is the central Christian confession of faith. Before the Apostles' Creed ever came together, before the Nicene Creed was written to help guide the expanded faith of the early church, before any of these things, the central Christian confession was this, Jesus is Lord. He's in charge. He's the one who has authority over heaven and earth. And I might even go so far as to say that the the Christian life is as simple and as profound as figuring out what that means. That the Christian life is as simple and as profound as learning to trust that and learning to understand that and learning to work out that truth in our lives that Jesus is Lord. It, it occurs to me that in response to that claim, there, there are a few options. There are a few different ways that a person could respond. Intellectually, I see three options. The first option in response to that claim, the central truth claim, the central claim about reality that Christians make that Jesus is Lord, the, the first response is kind of the obvious one. You could believe it. You could agree with it. You could say, that's right. I believe that Jesus is in charge. He is Lord, and I believe in the kind of Lord he is because I've seen his life, and I can live my life for him. The, the first response is one of faith. It's to agree with that. The second response would kind of be the obvious one, if to go a different direction, is to say, no, I don't think that's right. I think somebody else is Lord. I think somebody else is in charge. And you could pick just about anybody that you wanted, and there'd be different faiths about that and different lives that go with that. It could be some earthly ruler. It could be some religious teacher. It could be some other cosmic force. I don't know. But philosophically, it's possible that something else is Lord or somebody else is Lord. And the third option probably would be, again, to say, no, I disagree with that, and nobody is Lord nobody's actually in charge. The, 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 as far as the universe goes, it's all up for grabs. The basic fundamental rule is chaos, and the operating system is every person for themselves. Seems to me those are probably the three options. And I would ask you, what, whatever background you come from, wherever you find yourself right now, maybe if you're a committed Christian, maybe I think probably many of us are, Maybe some of you are at a place where you're kind of figuring stuff out and you have questions and you're learning and you're trying to decide what do I really believe is fundamentally true about the universe, about life and death and reality. Maybe you don't know. And maybe you are actually convinced of some other set of convictions, some other truth, but you're here for some other reason today, maybe exploring that, maybe some other reason. I would just like to ask you about those options that Jesus is Lord, that somebody else is Lord, or that really nobody is in charge of all this mess. Which one of those you believe to be most, most credible? Which one of those you believe to be true? Which one of those you find to be most hopeful? And which one of those you think has the potential to do the most good in the world? 
I can tell you that as for me, I've spent a significant fraction of my life studying the Gospels, making a study of the biographies of Jesus. I find them to be intellectually credible. That is to say, I believe that they are true, that the claims they make are historically and existentially true. And I've been following Jesus for over 20 years in my life. And I believe that it is he who is Lord, that this is not only true, but it is also hopeful and good. The, the challenge, even for those of us who call ourselves Christians, though, is working this out. Even if I say that I believe that, what happens when that bumps up against other things that might act as authorities in my life? And then who will be in charge? And then who will be the Lord of my life? And I, I think one of the obvious ones, and I'll start here only because it's maybe the most obvious one, the low-hanging fruit, if you will, would be the question of other powers in this world, other legitimate authorities in this world. You could think of governments or elected officials or laws. I mean, sometimes in facing a decision, have you ever thought, well, that's against the law, so I can't do that. That's like the final answer, right? Or that's what the law says. We obviously all have to do that. That's the ultimate authority. But sometimes, what if there's a higher authority than that? Right? I just think back to the example of at least some Christians in American history. Think back to the middle part of the 19th century when slavery was the law of the land in the United States. Not that everybody had to do it, but that it was permissible, right? And it's written into our Constitution how to manage slavery. But there were Christians. Most of the early abolitionists were Christians and were motivated by biblical Christian reasons. There were Christians who opposed them also, but that doesn't undo the reality that the early abolitionists had Christian reasons for being against slavery in the U.S., and their, their basic logic was, Jesus is my Lord. I believe that every single human being on earth is created in the image of God. And so how is it that some of us are supposed to own others of us? This, I don't get that. That can't be right. And furthermore, so many of the slaves in our country are Christians. They believe in Jesus. They are our brothers and sisters. We fundamentally believe that they're family. And how is it that I'm supposed to own my sister and my brother? That cannot be right. So even though it's in the law of our land and even though it's managed by our constitution. I can't, I can't believe that. Who's going to be my Lord? Who's going to set my values for me? Who's going to determine what's right and wrong and what my priorities will be? And I can think of examples of Christians who've had to stand up for similar things. I, I was a, for a while in my life, I was a student of the period of history of Germany in the 1930s and 40s, and Christians had to stand up and say, that's not right. I'm not turning Jewish people over. I'm not betraying my neighbors. I'm, I'm not going to believe in the truth claims that this leadership is making. And many, again, didn't stand up, but people had to decide, who's my Lord? Who's actually going to be in charge? What's the highest authority in the world? Is it the authority that looks really powerful in my world, or is there a, a more powerful authority than that? I don't necessarily need to dwell on the decisions of, that relate to laws and governments, although people around the world, including in our own country, continue to have to make those decisions right now. Who's really my Lord? Who's really in charge of my policies? Who's really in charge of my community? Who sets my values? I start there only because it's kind of the most obvious one. But I really think that probably the most dangerous one for us, the most insidious one, is, is less obvious than that. And that is, maybe I'm Lord. <laughs> Maybe I'm the one who calls the shots in my life. And even if we don't often say it out loud like that, I think that's probably the most tempting set of beliefs for us. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm in charge of my own destiny. I set my own agenda. I make my own priorities. I make decisions for how this is going to go. And whatever it is that's best for me and what makes me most comfortable, naturally, I'm going to do that. I think that's probably the operating system of our culture for the most part, and it seems so obvious. It's hard, even for Christians, for people whose central confession of faith is Jesus is Lord. It's hard, I think, for us at a practical level to say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. You're in charge. I report to you. What do you want? 
What do you want me to do with my, my resources of my life? What do you want me to do with my time? How would you like me to order that resource that I've got of my time? What do you want me to do with my money? What would your priorities be for that? What do you want me to do with my career? What do you want me to do with my relationships? In all of these areas, you're in charge. I want to serve your agenda. Where are we going? What's your vision? You're Lord of my life. It's hard, I think. I, don't, I think on a practical level, we often kind of avoid that, and we think, what do I want to do right now? And then we do that. Another friend of mine said this once years ago in a really captivating way that at first I think I didn't realize the power of what he was saying, and over the years this has stuck with me. The way he put it was this way. He said, I will give up the starring role in the story of me for any role at all in the story of God. I will give up the starring role in the story of me for any role at all in the story of God. When, when I thought about sharing that line with you, the next thing that came to my mind was somebody's going to wonder, why would I do that? <laughs> why would I give up that starring role? Well, why would I say, Jesus, you, you, call, you call the shots. I'll do what you want. And, and I have to say, the only reasonable answer, I think, or the, maybe the best answer is faith. Faith is what makes a person do that. Faith on the one hand, that this is true, that Jesus actually is the Lord of heaven and earth, and that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And it won't be like now where you can go like, yeah, I might follow you and I might not, and we'll see what happens. But there will come a time when it's obvious that Jesus is Lord. And frankly, I want to be on his team now and not trying to figure out if I can get on it then, that Jesus actually is Lord and has power over earth in the present and in the future. The other, kind of, the other side of this faith is not only that it's true, but that the lordship of Jesus is good and beautiful. It'd be faith that arises from having encountered the presence of Jesus in your life, from having met his call, his presence, his spirit, from being captivated by his grace and captured by his love and saying, I will, and being inspired by his teaching, by being inspired by his vision and saying, Jesus, if that's who you are, if that's how you lead, if that's what you do in my heart and that's what you've taught, then I will follow you wherever you go. Why would we give up the starring role in the story of us for any role at all in the story of God? Because of faith, because we trust him. I say, I'll go wherever you lead. I'll go wherever you lead. I was thinking about this claim that's made in all of the, all, the end of all three of the Gospels. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of three of the four Gospels. I just changed the Bible on you. Don't tell anybody. Right? There's four Gospels. <laughs> The end of three of the Gospels, they end this same way with the similar stories telling similar themes. They end with the story of a story or a claim about Jesus' authority and his promise to be with them or to send them his spirit and then a commissioning of some kind of job to do. They end with this combination of themes, Jesus' authority, his ongoing presence to empower what, his, what by his authority he commands to do. And I was thinking about this a number of years ago, and I want to close today by telling you, sharing with you a story that I wrote several years ago. And I, I wrote this story as kind of an experiment for myself to begin with, to try to understand what, is, what does that authority look like in images that we use today? I keep saying Jesus is Lord, and that's the central Christian confession of faith, but there's not really anything else in life that I have ever literally called Lord, right? I don't, I don't have a, a thing that I use the word Lord for in my life. And so I was thinking, what are the other authority figures? What are the things? And we've talked about some of them. What would those titles be and, and how would that work out? So no analogies are perfect, but I tried to write this story to help myself think about it and maybe as an experiment to try to explain it to others. So try for a moment imagining the story this way. Imagine that we are all employees in a giant corporation called Earth. 
And Earth is in bad shape. Earth isn't doing very well. It's developed a really poisonous corporate culture. In fact, the employees of Earth have been fighting with each other, sometimes disastrously, for longer than anybody can remember. And not only are the employees fighting with each other, but the leaders aren't really helping. I mean, the leadership of Earth seems to be much more interested in what benefits them than in doing what's good for the company and its customers. And the, not only, the, the culture is so poisonous that people don't even know where to start to make it better. Every time a little movement gets going to try to make things better, people find out they don't know who they can trust, and that even includes themselves. Every time people start trying to clean up the company, at least in their own little department, they find that their motives are so mixed, and so are those of everybody else, and it never really works out the way that they were hoping. Earth's a mess. And not only is it a mess, it's a shame. Because it wasn't supposed to be this way. And, and it wasn't this way. Back when the company was founded, all oh, those were the glorious days. The beginning was so great. And in fact, actually, did you know the founder is still alive? <laughs> and even though it was always his will to let us run Earth as his proxies, eventually we did such a good job running Earth into the ground that he had to send his own son, a chip off the old block if ever there was one, to be Earth's new CEO. But the problem is, is that most of the employees of Earth didn't care. <laughs> they didn't trust him, and they didn't and don't think that they have to respect his authority. Now, to be honest, he has some pretty wild ideas for how to run Earth better. <laughs> some of them sound a little bit too idealistic to work, and so we're not sure if that'd be good for us. And really, to be fair, he has promised Earth the moon. It seems maybe a little bit too good to be true. And yet he has every right to, and he has asked us for our loyalty, our trust, and our obedience, even now in the present. And some of us have given it to him. And so he said, I want you to start putting my policies for Earth and for life in place in your department right now. And I need you to start telling others why you trust me. I need you to get all the other employees on board too. So when you're in the break room, tell them about why you trust me. And, and when you're in the lunchroom and you're taking your lunch break and you're sitting down, tell them how it's working. Tell them about my policies. Tell them how it's already starting to work out in your department. You are the best means I have for getting as many other employees as possible on board before I have to clean the house. And I do have to clean this place up. It's too sick. It's too corrupt. It's doing too much damage. It's hurting too many people. My father, the founder, loves earth way too much for me to let this go on like this. But I don't want to fire anyone if I don't have to. So go tell them. Tell them that I was able to forgive you for all the ways you rebelled against my father. Tell them how I brought you on board, and I can forgive them too, if only they will turn around and come over to my side first. The authority is rightly mine now. I'm in charge. So put my policies into practice right now and go tell as many people as you can. In our world, we don't call hardly any authority figure Lord. And I don't know what the perfect analogy is, if we should be campaigning for Jesus for president, or if we think of Jesus as a CEO, or what that authority role is. Probably none of them are perfect. None of them are a perfect way to communicate the confession that Jesus is Lord, that he is the one who is truly in charge. But if indeed he is, if indeed he holds that place, if indeed he holds that authority, 
then there are at least a couple of responses that he's asking for from us and responses that are wise on our part. The, the first one, the first thing that we can know if Jesus is really in charge is first of all, we're in real good hands. Everything's gonna be okay. That the one whom God raised from the dead and seated at his right hand and said, this guy is in charge. This is the world's true and rightful king. That this is the Jesus who healed the sick and calmed the storm and welcomed the outcast and opened his table to sinners. This is the one who loved us literally to death. And God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven on earth is mine. If that's true, then I want you to think about what's broken in your life. And I want you to think about what pains you and what's difficult and the challenges that we face. And I want to reassure you that Jesus is indeed Lord. And so all these things, about all these things we can say, all will be well. And all will be well. And all manner of thing shall be well. And then not only can we trust him, not only can our hearts be lifted by faith in him, but the second thing is, friends, we got work to do. <laughs> we got things to do if Jesus is in charge. In fact, at the beginning of Luke's second volume, he tells the story of Jesus in the gospel according to Luke. And Luke wrote a second volume called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Church, the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the church. And in chapter one of the book of Acts, Luke retells the story of the ascension. It's the end of the gospel of Luke. It's the beginning of the book of Acts. And in that telling of the story, he provides a little bit more detail. And he says that Jesus, he was taken from their sight. He disappeared from the vision of the disciples who were gathered around him, but an angel was there. And the angel said to the disciples, one of my favorite underrated lines in the Bible, why are you standing around looking up into heaven? <laughs> why are you standing around? Well, get back to work, right? And in fact, in the story of Jesus' ascension at the end of the Gospel of Luke, in the story that we read in both of our worship venues today, Jesus gave a, a commissioning, if you will. He said that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be preached to all nations in his name. That repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached to everyone in his name. The, the shortest, the kind of one-line, clearest definition I've heard of for the word repentance, which is a really churchy word, but to change that around a little bit and give that a definition, I've, I've come to like this definition. Change your way of thinking and reorient your life to this good news. Repent and believe the good news. Change your way of thinking and reorient your life to this good news, that it's Jesus who's in charge. It's not you and it's not me, thank God. It's not some other power in the world. It's that guy, Jesus. The one whom we read about in the Gospels, the one who we've met in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. Repent. Change your way of thinking and reorient your life to this good news. And I'd like to ask you to consider, if you're anything like me, your answer to this question might be a thousand ways, but try to think of one way. What's, what's one area of your life that you, th that you would think to yourself, man, if Jesus were in charge of my life, I'd be living that way of my life differently. I'd, I'd be feeling differently about that. My, my thoughts and my feelings would be different. My decisions would be different. I mean, I made a, gave a few examples a minute ago. Maybe it is money decisions in your life. Maybe it's career decisions. Maybe it's relationship decisions. Maybe it's entertainment choices. I don't know. It could be a whole variety of things. But what's an area of your life where the Spirit of God would say to your heart, Jesus is Lord. You don't have to do that. You could live this way instead. I want to think about that. Jesus said that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all nations in his name. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins. The good news is that even though you and I have been part of running earth into the ground, Jesus welcomes us. And he says, I, I can forgive that. I can bring you to my table. I want you to begin putting my policies in practice in your department. And I know you haven't done that very well yet. And yet Jesus is full of forgiveness. Nobody is too far gone. Not your neighbor, not your colleague, not your weird family member, not even you. 
and not even me. Jesus is Lord, and repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached to all of us, to all nations, to all people, including us in his name. Praise God for that. Praise God, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you, we confess you in our hearts. So much of our lives is not conformed to your lordship. So much of our lives operates as if something or someone else is lord of our lives. Other priorities, other agendas, other desires, most often our own. But Jesus, we know that you are good. And we know that you are powerful. And we confess together that you are Lord. And we pray that you would send us what you have promised, as your word says, that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would make our desires your desires, that you would conform our wants to yours and our agenda to yours. We report to you, you're in charge. And thank God that you are. We pray that you would work faith and trust and joy and obedience in our hearts. And we pray, Jesus, in your own name. Amen.